Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. This morning, we're in our uh, uh, seventh Sunday and the final Sunday of our uh, Miracle of Mercy uh, series. And, And today, we're opening the Bible to get some help on how to show mercy to your extended family on Thanksgiving. And uh, we, we tend to need a little help with that. You know, it really is sad that sometimes the hardest place to show mercy is at home with the people we know the best and who know us uh, the best, people we live with uh, all the time, uh, all those people, the people we grew up with, and you're going to see most of them this week. Um, maybe you could identify with what King David Uh, prayed in Psalm 101, verse 2. It's going to be on the screen. Here's what he said. This is a good prayer. He said, I will try and walk a blameless path, but how I need your help, especially in my own home, where I long to act as I should. Well, God, help us a little bit uh, there. Now, we've been saying for the last seven weeks in this series, we've been defining mercy as love in action. It is love that takes action. And so, therefore, whatever is true about God's definition of love is true about mercy. That might help us define what mercy is and what mercy does, especially in the context of when we show it to our immediate family, our extended family. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, known by those of you who were, most of us here are familiar with uh, the Christian world and church world, that's, that's known as the love chapter. And love is described there magnificently, poetically, beautifully. Uh, and in verses 4 through 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we find no less than 15 uh, characteristics of love. Uh, no, no less than 15 marks of, of mercy. And so I, I'm not going to teach all 15 uh, today. I didn't tell you to bring your lunch. Um, but those who counsel me on these things said, maybe you should just pick four. And so I'm going to pick, what I, Jeff, what I think are the best four, and we're going to um, uh, do those and hopefully be home by Thanksgiving dinner Uh, today. But we do find four key ways of showing mercy to our family given to us by God, by the Lord Jesus in the the Scripture. So there are four of them. I've given you a note sheet as always in your bulletin. You may want to grab a pen and jot these down. And here we go. Here's the very first way to show mercy to your family members this Thanksgiving. It is number one, by overlooking irritations and offenses. Overlooking Irritations and offenses. Uh, Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 13 says it this way. Love is not provoked. Love is not provoked. Now, what this means is, is that God's love and God's mercy operative in our lives when it has a grip on our hearts and on our souls and on our bodies and our minds and and certainly our words, it means that mercy and love is, is not irritable. It is not easily angered. It does not fly off the handle. People don't have to walk on eggshells around God's love and uh, mercy. Uh, It doesn't easily get upset 
with other people, with their irritations and their offenses. Now, it recognizes that people genuinely sometimes uh, are irritating and they genuinely are offensive and do things that are inappropriate and not helpful and do things that are uh, destructive. But love is not provoked. It is not easily angered. Mercy is not easily angered. Now, you're going to have irritations in life. And you're going to be irritating in life. You're not always going to be at your best. You're not always going to uh, have a good day. Nobody has good days all the time. Uh, But many uh, families, extended families, when they gather, it's kind of like the family in the video. It's just immediately we're buried down in digs and irritations and offensive speech and offensive behavior. And uh, it's just hard to stay uh, civil. Yet in the midst of that, real love is not easily angered. Real love is not easily uh, irritated, uh, doesn't get angry easily. Now, anger is by far the most misunderstood of our human emotions. It is, uh, it is no doubt the most mismanaged. Wouldn't you agree? Human anger is the most mismanaged of our emotions. But the Bible says that anger is not necessarily sinful. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. In fact, the Scriptures say to those to us, uh, to be angry and sin not. So there's some times when we should be angry. We should be angry at the right times and for the right reasons, never at the wrong time for the wrong reasons. Uh, We we have a little trouble getting those mixed up uh, from time uh, to time. And so there is a good kind of anger, the Bible says, God says in His Word, and there's a a bad kind of anger. There's a, a righteous anger and a sinful anger. There's a helpful anger and there's a destructive anger. Anger is a God-given capacity that must be brought under control of God's Holy Spirit. In, in, uh, in the teaching of the Scriptures uh, about the Christian life, all, those of you who are already Christians, followers of Jesus, you'll know that uh, our uh, one of our core values here at Dogwood is Spirit-filled living. And what we mean by that is this, is that a, is that a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, moment-by-moment, constant yielding of ourselves to the control, to the empowering, uh, to the direction, to the guidance of God the Holy Spirit is not only essential, but it is God's intended norm for every believer. For we cannot live in ways pleasing in our own power. We need His power. We need His control to do so. And and the Scriptures say that as we do that habitually, over time, He begins to create character qualities in us that look like the Lord Jesus Himself, one of those being self-control. And our anger is brought under control of God the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so... Then it is an asset. Now, there there are two wrong ways to get angry, uh, to show anger. One is to blow up. One is to clam up. Uh, One writer says it this way, that um, everybody, he would say everybody in this room is either a skunk or a turtle. You know, when skunks get upset, the whole world knows it. You know, they stink up the place. They they blow up. Uh, When a turtle gets upset and angry, they just kind of quietly close off and and disappear, and and we the scriptures the wisdom of the scriptures would say both of those are really bad responses to anger. They are not helpful. 
they're at best not helpful. They may be sinful and, and destructive. Well, what do we do about anger? When, 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 when someone, again, not when you're just too sensitive, but when someone is irritating and they are genuinely offensive, they're being, doing, saying, behaving in bad ways toward you and the people you're around. What, what's, how do we handle our anger? How do we possibly overlook that? Well, you do so by what we've been teaching for months and months here is we remember God's love and mercy toward us. We remember we must be the recipients of God's love and mercy And as we daily remember the mercy of God expressed through the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who said that even while we were still sinners, while we were still uh, irritating and offensive toward God, while we were still shaking our fist in the face of God and revolting against His His, uh, rule and authority over our lives, maybe in a quiet, subtle way, or maybe in an outward, angry way, yet He still died for us. We remember His amazing mercy and love that He poured out on us in Christ when we did not deserve it. We did not earn it. We did not deserve it. That's the the gospel. We sing about it intentionally, frequently in our services. And one of the songs I like is about the mercy of God, I mean the love of God, and we, and we, we get to the chorus and it says, and on and on and on and on it goes. And it overwhelms, uh, my, and, and overwhelms in what? What's the next word there? Satisfies my soul. That's it. That's the word. It over, you see, the, the Scriptures say we are to constantly dwell upon the love of God toward us in Christ Jesus. And the more we do so, the more we remember, I didn't earn it, I didn't deserve it. It is a, We begin to call it amazing grace and amazing mercy and amazing love. How could it be that you, my king, would die for me? And we, it, the Bible says the more we know and experience and dwell on this, we become so overwhelmed that it changes our hearts. And what we find, the, the, the word in Philippians chapter 2 comes true where it says that it is God who is at work in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That means it is God's Spirit at work in us through the gospel and the memory and the knowledge of His mercy and love in us and toward us in Christ Jesus. He is at work in us and it both motivates gives and enables us to be and do what pleases Him, including showing mercy to our irritating, offensive family members. That is the only antidote uh, to um, uh, these things because mercy is not easily irritated. Mercy, uh, mercy is not easily angered. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. On the screen it says, Love forgets mistakes. That means not absent-mindedly. It means an intentional decision. I distinctly remember remembering to forget this. Love forgets mistakes. Nagging about them parts the best of friends. And in Proverbs 19, 11, the Scriptures say this. Next passage. Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is His glory to overlook an offense. It shows the measure of your maturity, spiritual maturity in Christ, is our ability to overlook a genuine offense. And we have, we have the opportunity all the time. I get these wonderful emails sometimes. Got one this week. 
you know, just one in particular. And um, it gave me another wonderful opportunity to overlook an offense. Now, I'll let you know, you know, maybe I'll let you know how I do with it. I'm not there yet. I hadn't seen the, we're supposed to have a meeting. Can't wait. <laughs> so, but it, it, you know, it shows our maturity when we overlook an offense. You know, people who get offended at every little thing are immature. and Have to respond and have to blow up, come offensive back. Just immature. People who don't get offended at every little thing, who have the capacity to let it slide, to overlook irritations, to overlook offenses, it is the mark of emotional and relational and spiritual uh, maturity. If you're always getting your feelings hurt, you need to grow up in Jesus. So don't just tell people to grow up. They can't do it on their own. They need to grow up in Jesus. Jesus will help you grow up. Left to yourself, you're not going to grow up. I'm not going to grow up. But that's how we can tell. We must learn how to overlook an offense, and we learn it by walking with Jesus. He tends not to typically do the spiritual lightning bolt. Bzzzt, and you're just all of a sudden, you're just this really patient person. How's he do it? He puts you in the, he starts running irritating people in front of you all the time. So you get a good workout. And you got one coming this week. So I hope you pass. I hope you pass. Love and mercy are not easily angered. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15 says it this way. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, and notice that it said when, not if. Be careful. Be careful when you get on each other's nerves because we do get on each other's nerves from time to time. You know, my, uh, uh, my father-in-law over the years has given me some great language to use in my talks. Uh, most of the f- funny stuff you've ever heard me say is not originally. It came from my dad or my father-in-law. And I can remember pulling up to uh, one of the holiday gatherings of the extended family on uh, my wife's side of the family and uh, we pulled up, and my father-in-law said, "Oh, there's such and so, so and so's car. They're here." And then he looked over at me and he said, "You know, they can rub all the hide off me in about thirty minutes." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, they can, and and we can. You know, it's. And so he said, "Let's let's just get ready." So what he was saying was, "Be careful." Okay, they're here. Let's be careful. You know, let, let's, let's show mercy. Let's be careful going in. When you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Look for the best in each other. Now, you might have to look hard, but do it. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. So, to show mercy to our extended family, let's start by this week overlooking irritations and offenses. The second way is to do this, by being kind to them when they don't deserve it. By being kind to them when they don't deserve it. Now, in every family, we have uh, what's called VDPs, very draining people. Very draining people. Now, don't look at them right now if they're with you. And um, if you don't know who they are in your family, you're probably them. So... So be careful, you know, we got, we got very draining people. They're, they're difficult, 
they're irresponsible, they're, they're immature, they're rude, or they're demanding people, they're pushy, they're manipulative, they're aggressive, they're disappointing, unreliable people. Sometimes they're destructive uh, people uh, to us. So how do we deal with these people? They're in our lives, they, there's some kind of relationship. How do we deal uh, with these people? Well, here's how we do it. The Bible says in verses 4 and verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, love is kind and patient, love is always supportive. Always supportive, always kind, always patient. That's what mercy looks like. How can I possibly do that with the VDPs in my, in my life? Well, we've already looked at Proverbs 19.11. Look at it in the, the uh, Holman Christian Standard Version. It says, a person's insight gives him patience. In the uh, English Standard Translation, it says, good sense makes one slow to anger. Are patient. Well, what kind of insight into what or good sense about what? Here, here's how we are kind to people when they don't deserve it. We, we pause and look for insight and act toward them with some good sense. And, and what I mean by that is we begin to think about so what are they, why are they, how did they get here? How did they get where they are? What are their fears? What have been their hurts? in the past? What's their life story that they've, they've journeyed? Because, you know, we really don't love people until we've taken time to listen to their story. And if we'll just take the time to listen to their story, you'll find yourself, if you have insight and good sense, you'll find yourself saying, oh, I get it. And then you'll find yourself being a little more patient. It enables you because you've got insight into their hurts, their hang-ups, their habits, their, their, their life journey of, of what they've encountered, and you'll, be, you'll find yourself being a little more compassionate about what they've experienced. Because, listen, everybody's had a hard time, whether they look like it or not. Everybody's had and probably still having a hard time. And because of that insight, it allows us then to be kind even when people don't... Uh, Deserve it. In Proverbs 19.22, says this, Kindness makes a man attractive. Kindness makes a woman attractive. Kindness makes a person uh, attractive. So, here, what do we do first? We overlook, remember the key word, overlook, overlook uh, irritations and offenses. Second, we're kind to them when they don't deserve it. Third, we let go of past hurts. We can show mercy by letting go of past hurts. Hurts. In verse 5, here's what the Scriptures say. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, we, all, we tend to do that. You say, well, how can I forget the wrong that my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter, my aunt, my uncle, uh, how can I forget the wrong? I mean, we remember those things. Well, it doesn't mean that we go blank and don't even remember. It means we no longer choose to use them as a relational weapon. We no longer lock them in our arsenal. We no longer feed them to keep them alive and turn the heat up of them to keep them boiling. It's just, it means we, we no longer consider to use that as a weapon to justify how we think and feel and behave toward that person. We, can't, we don't forget things unless we've you know, had some kind of mental, emotional uh, inner, uh, injury. Uh, so that's not what he means. He means don't hold it uh, against them. I mean, we've all heard the story about the 
lady talking to her friend, and she said, my husband came in from work last night all irritated and all wound up, and he gave me an earful, and it got, it got escalated and escalated and escalated until he just got historical. And she said, you mean hysterical? And he said, no. She said, no, historical. He told me everything I'd ever done wrong in the last 20, 20 years. He pulled out the arsenal. And, but mercy doesn't do that. Mercy keeps no record of wrongs to be pulled out and used as a club. So here's, here's, here's a little axiom to write down. Don't repeat it, delete it. Just write that down. Don't re- just say, Lord, help me not to repeat it, just delete it. Don't repeat it, delete it. Let go of the past uh, hurts. Uh, we don't keep bringing it up as a relational weapon with the person. We, you know, you did this or you did that. And we certainly don't tell other people about it. That's called what? Gossip. And God says, He says one word about that. What is it? Don't stop. Yeah, stop, don't, cease, don't. Remember, gossip is not spreading untruths. It's actually telling the truth about something that really happened, but you're just telling it to people you shouldn't be telling it to. There's some things that are true, they really happen, but they're not. It's, it, you shouldn't repeat it. There's just some things that just shouldn't be repeated. Hot dog, Facebook, Twitter, you know. Um, he says, no, don't, don't. Now, it's easy to gossip, isn't it? Because it, it, it feels so good, doesn't it? I mean, it's kind of fun. It's fun, but it feels good too because if someone has wounded us, if, our, if a family member has irritated us or offended us, it's good to go to our best friend and we tell what they did and what they said and what the deal was and because, so it'll make our friend say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Poor little thing. We want people to, we want to justify our feelings and our actions and God just says, don't. He said, now you can tell me about it. Pour out your hearts to me. You tell, you tell me about it, uh, but let go. So, overlook. Uh, don't keep a, uh, overlook and be kind when people don't deserve it. Let go of past hurts. Here's the fourth thing that this passage says. Uh, we show mercy to our family by trusting God to be at work in their lives, even when we don't see it. Trusting God to be at work in the lives of our family to do in them what we cannot do. We cannot do. We trust God to be at work in the life of our spouse even when we can't see it. In the life of our children even when we can't see it. In the life of our parents even when we can't see it. In the life of our brothers or sisters even when we can't see it. In the life of our aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents even when we can't see it. Because He is at work whether we can see it or not, and we learn to trust Him. Look at verse 7 in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, love always trusts. Love always trusts. Trust who? People? No. No. In fact, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, we're in this whole passage that describes what it looks like to be loving and gracious and merciful to other people. And so when you get down to the end about verse 7, it says, love always trusts. We can think that means other people. No, you shouldn't always trust other people. You, can't tr- you should not trust people who have proven themselves to be untrustworthy. Remember last week we talked about the instruction from Jesus when He said, 
that we are to be wise as serpents but harmless as doves? If you, if you trust people who have proven to be untrustworthy, uh, you're not being wise. You can still love them and you know it's their job to rebuild trust. The one who's proven themselves to be untrustworthy and that takes, that takes time. So who do you trust? Other people all the time? No, he's saying, trust me, trust God. I am at work in the hearts and lives of, uh, of people. And so he said, well, pastor, how can I tell if I'm trusting God to be at work in the lives of my family members? Well, you can tell it by your prayers. Are you praying and asking him to accomplish his purposes in the hearts and the lives of your family members? Do you pray for them? Do you pray for them? That's how you can tell. Because prayer is in and of itself an act of faith, an act of trust. I am praying to you. That means I trust you, God, to do what I cannot do. Prayer is an act of faith. And faith and mercy and grace all go together. They all go together. We can pray like the psalmist prayed in Psalm 28 verse 2. Take a look at it. This is him crying out. To God, listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. He pours out his heart to God. She pours out her heart to God. We throw ourselves on the mercy of God to be at work in the hearts and lives of people to do in them what we cannot do and He knows best in the first place. Now, I don't know. I don't know what kind of crisis you're going through right now, but some of you may feel a little hopeless this morning. You may feel a little hopeless in the light of the fact that you're going to see these family members and you're reminded of this painful relationship that's gone on for years and years and years. You may feel a little hopeless. Some of you are um, students or junior high students or high school students or college and university students and life may be hard in school and you may feel a little hopeless there, maybe even a little afraid. Some of you, my brothers and sisters in the Dogwood Church family, have felt not only hopeless but a little bit afraid since Tuesday a week ago's presidential election. And the, and the fear of, are we going to be safe? And with the, the, the escalating violence that we've seen in our, in our country in the past 10 days. So am, are we safe? Is, is there any hope? Is it yes. Cast your cares upon God like the psalmist here. Lord, listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary, grant us your mercy. Now there was a guy, in the, you've got good precedent. Uh, there's a guy in the Bible who did this. Um, he was a prophet of God. He wrote, uh, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, he penned two books of the Bible, uh, the book of Lamentations and the book of Jeremiah, named after him, the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, he suffered great personal loss. He suffered the loss of relationships because of his service to God. His family and his countrymen turned on him. They tried to execute him. They really roughed him up a good bit. But he also saw his country 
fall apart. I mean, it literally fell apart and was overtaken by the enemy and they were all taken away into captivity. And he never came home again in his lifetime. So there was a guy who, who was in a crisis and yet he did not give up hope. He cast himself upon the mercy of God and he gave us these words. They're going to be on the screen. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 20 through 23, he's praying to God and here's what he says. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies, there's that word, His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning, each morning. Now, these four things that God expects all of you who are followers of Jesus to do to your family this week, He does to you and me every day. Those When we have trusted in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, He does all four things to show mercy to us. In Jesus, if you placed your trust in Jesus, if you've repented of your sins and placed your trust in Jesus and surrendered to Him as Lord of your life, then God, first of all, uh, daily overlooks your sins, your mistakes, the things that offend Him by His mercy and by uh, His grace. He overlooks and forgives them by His mercy every day of your life. His mercies are new every morning. And He also is kind to you and to me when we don't deserve it. He does it because we need it, not because we uh, deserve it. And because in Christ, because we trusted Christ, he, oh, he keeps no record of our wrongs. He keeps no record of our wrongs. In fact, He says, if you will come to Me, I will forgive your sins and I will remove your sins as far away from you as the east is from the west. I will, I will take your sins and I will plunge them in the depths of the sea and I will remember your sins no more. Your sins that were scarlet shall be made white as snow in My sight. He keeps no record of wrongs. Now there's a reason to give thanks right there. Right there. He does all these things for you in Christ. Everything He's asking us to do to our family and to our, uh, our fellow man, He does all these things for us in Christ. And God is at work by His grace and by His Spirit in you every day, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it. Because He says, my faithfulness is great and my mercies, that means my active mercy and love and power is at work in you Every, afresh, every morning. Every morning. Now, some of you don't have that, and you need it. And so I'm going to ask you to pray with me. So let's pray. Pray with me. Pray with me. Those of you who are Christians, I mean real Christians, you have turned from your sin, you've placed your faith in Jesus, you've surrendered to Him as Lord of your life. These things are a reality in you, and all you need to remember is, oh yes, Lord, I can't show mercy to other people on my own. That's why I needed a Savior. I was a sinful person in need of a Savior. I'm still in need of a Savior. So would you indwell me by your Spirit and empower me to show mercy to other people just like you have shown mercy to me? Others of you need to call on the mercy of God for the very first time. 
And so let me walk you through this prayer. You just turn this into your own prayer from your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I need your mercy. I can't be merciful to others in my own power. I need you to be merciful for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that by placing my faith in you, you now overlook and you forgive all of my offenses, all of my sins against you by your mercy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are kind to me when when I need it, not when I deserve it, because I don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you keep no record of my past sins because I have put my trust, I am now putting my trust in you. And what you did when you died on the cross and rose from the dead to pay for my sins. I accept your grace and mercy today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are working in my life even when I'm unaware of it. Your mercies are new every morning to me. I want to get to know you better. I want to learn to love you and trust you more. And I want you to turn me into a merciful person. And it is in your name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcasts, video, and more.